In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com. Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Between the Lines. On this podcast, you will hear about and from lesser-known Canadian authors and writers who, for whatever reason, have remained under the radar of traditional publishers and publishing houses. You will also hear from editors, literary agents, and publishers in the hopes of giving us all a better understanding of how it all works together. If it has something to do with writing or the writing process, you are going to hear a discussion about it here. I'm your host, Randy Lacey. I'm encouraging you to grab your bevy of choice, get comfy, and get ready to go between the lines. People come into writing in several different ways. For some, it was a teacher at school handing out a writing assignment, while for others, it may have been by reading and wondering if they might be able to write. Every writer has started their writing journey on a different path. Each writer's journey will be different, yet similar. But one thing all writers have in common is a different destination. Welcome to another episode of Between the Lines. Today, I will be talking with Brian Sankersing. I first met Brian in my Facebook writing group, Canadian Creative Writers. He had responded to an in-group post I had made regarding putting together an anthology about how the pandemic affected writers. Bigger dreams ensued shortly thereafter, and as I like to say, life got in the way. So, without any further ado, hello, Brian, and welcome to Between the Lines. Thank you so much, Randy. It's just a pleasure being here. And thanks for inviting me to this amazing podcast. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll take that. Here's where I stand aside for a moment, a brief moment, and I'll let you, Brian, have the opportunity to tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thank you so much again. So folks, my, my name is Brian Sankersing, as, as, as Randy said, and I'm originally from Trinidad. I actually moved to Canada in the mid, mid to late 80s and being an only child, it was quite the adjustment moving to a brand new place. And I wish I could tell you that I sunk myself into my writing and I, you know, I was just really amazed at the stuff I was able to produce. No, that's not the case. I actually, as as Randy said earlier on, I uh, I found life got in the way. And so I, uh, I went to work. Um, I worked at the bank for almost... 15 years, both in Toronto and um, and again in Calgary. And it was only in moving back to 
to Ontario that I actually found my voice and and decided to write. And believe it or not, it was the the onset of the pandemic at the beginning of the pandemic that I decided to write a book. And so that that really is kind of what brings us here. I have uh, I have two grown children and a boy and a girl, and um, they are uh, they're working. My son actually does some poetry. Uh, I've encouraged him to to write, but like me, you know, life is coming in his way as well. I've been married to my childhood sweetheart, and this will be our twenty seventh year of marriage. Well, congratulations! Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's been quite the interesting journey so far. As you were speaking, uh, I think I just adopted a new saying, and it's live a little, write a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So thank you for that, Brian. Let's get, uh, let's get right into question period, and we'll start with, uh, I'll write at the beginning with question number one. What do you fear most as a writer? I, I found this to be a brilliant question, because even though I've th- I thought about it, I, I internalized that fear. I never really gave voice to it. And so this question actually put me in a place where I had to revisit that thinking that I had about what I feared most about writing and how, how I overcame it, because it's something that it's a, it's a fear that I still have. And so my fear is, is actually, there's a name for it. There is a, it's an actual syndrome. It's called imposter syndrome. For your listeners who don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's actually classified as a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, talents, and accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. And it sounds really, really heavy, and it is. But I'll tell you that that's my that's my fear. I have written now two books of poetry and I've, I'm on to a third book and I'm writing other things as well. And I still can't bring myself to call myself a writer. And it's partly because of this imposter syndrome. And that that fear is with me all of the time. That fear that, I, I, you know, somebody's going to expose me for not being an actual writer. Doesn't that come down to your definition of what a writer is? Because to me, as soon as you apply a word to a page or a computer screen, you've written, you're a writer. It's the author part, I think, that we struggle with. Yeah. Calling ourselves an author. Because like I said, putting any word to paper or computer screen or phone, or you, you instantly become a writer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and for me, my definition of it is is so much different because I see it as being a, a writer, as being a part storyteller, and so th- it it's not just for me, anyways. The word association between the two is that as a writer, I'm also telling a story, and uh, and you know that is often a scary thing to do, which is kind of why, uh, you know, I, I, I'm actually thinking about ways to challenge myself to do that more. Because this is not, the imposter syndrome is not something that's always with you. I wouldn't have ever said yes to, to doing an interview like this if, I, if, if it was always with, you know, it's just in those times, often there's a silence around, around me anyways, and I have that fear. And so, 
the more I find myself pushing my own definitions of what it means to be a writer and storyteller and poet, the more I find that I, I'm getting a little bit closer to, uh, to recognizing the, the talent in myself. Uh, I remember saying to, to my, my wife's family, who are a family of musicians, brilliant, brilliant musicians, fantastic and pick uh, uh, they can listen to a song and just pick it out on a guitar or a piano and I always saw that as creative genius I never ever ever thought about myself and my ability to write as creative genius or even creative until I held my first book in my hand mm -hmm. and so you know I, I think about people who might be listening to this podcast who might be thinking to, them, to having that same fear and uh, you don't have to wait until you hold your first book i think it's one of those things where you have to challenge yourself you find in you what is that thing that's causing me to have this imposter syndrome what is that one thing and you start challenging yourself in that area i don't know if you had a chance to listen to anything from last season but uh the very last episode was uh was an interview with andrew shaughnessy from from yeah. the group and during his interview, he actually said uh, that he considers himself an imposter. Yeah. And, and so you, what you just said made me go, oh, okay, that's exactly what he was talking to or speaking about. So I'll have to get him to listen to this interview. <laughs> there you go, Andrew. There you go. There, there well, that's, you go. A, that's a really good answer, Brian. Thank you. Uh, Thank apparently, you. you did put some thought into it. <laughs> How did you come to choose the genre you write in, or do you feel it chose you? There's a funny story behind that. That's when, why we're here. I, I, yeah. <laughs> when when, when I, I, I met my wife, we were, we were teenagers, and she, she lived in Trinidad, and I lived in Trinidad at that time. And uh, she was, she, we were, we were an item, and, um, and that actually birthed in me a real hunger for expression and and so uh, around the same time I was actually doing um, English literature um, and actually studying Shakespeare uh, and I found myself in just kind of lost in Shakespeare's sonnets and that's kind of the genesis of where I started writing was really being the one you know kind of head over heels in love with my my then girlfriend now wife mm -hmm. but also really immersed in Shakespeare's sonnets and his wordplay and how he how he wrote fast forward to a couple of years uh, and uh, one valentine's day a couple of friends of mine came and they asked me would you mind writing a poem for for me i want to give this girl a rose and i think if i can give you if i can give them a poem that'd be so cool and so I, I sold my poems. <laughs> I sold my poems to almost half my class. Oh wow! Um, at, at that at that point, and um, and so yeah, that kind of that was that was in I think it would have been in 1985 that 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 happened where I was selling poems, and so poetry had had been I just kind of in my soul for a long time it it was the way that i would express myself in writing what 
what literature, whether both had the, uh, because I was in Trinidad, we had uh, the, the British uh, schooling. So we had O levels and A levels, ordinary and advanced levels. I did, I did advanced level literature. And what it did was it really challenged me to not only expand my vocabulary, but also challenged me to, to try different, um, different types of poetry. And so that's kind of where I started with this genre of poetry. Now, the thing is that I, I, I didn't stick with poetry. I actually wrote a play that was uh, that actually acted out in, in my school, in my class uh, oh, cool. when I wrote it. And I, I'd been, even as early as I would say around, just prior to, my, to me starting to write my first book, I was actually thinking about writing a science fiction uh, uh, book of which I actually cr have notes that have created the worlds and created the characters and their personality. And that was because I was really trying to find the... the I, I knew that poetry was my language of choice, but I wanted to make sure that I wasn't pigeonholing myself, that I, 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 that I would open up my, my ability to try everything else. And so that was my first foray into trying something else. So did, did I choose poetry? I, I really don't think so. I think poetry actually was in as part of my DNA from the very beginning, which, which is why I think for me, I, I, um, when I write poetry, it, it, I write it the way I do, which is kind of like in, in these huge fits of writing. I can relate. Boy, can I relate. Yeah. Um, this isn't one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, but you uh, kind of brought it out of me. But I know for me personally, it's easier for me to say what I want to say on paper than it is with my mouth. Yeah. Do you find yourself the same way? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, in fact, it, and I'll tell you what I did. I took your questions and I actually typed in what I what the points were I wanted to hit on. Oh. Because if I didn't type them in, I would never, ever just be able, <laughs> be able to articulate them properly. So, yeah, for me, it's easier. It, it, like I find my I am not I would not call myself a gifted orator by any 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 stretch of anyone's imagination. But I it, give me a keyboard and I can I can write and and that kind of it's weird because for me I remember when I was a teenager I decided to I decided to take typewriting and this was on one of those old underwood typewriters where oh. we had to mash <laughs> yeah. to mash muscles <laughs> yes to mash the keys right and I I took typewriting as a subject. Uh, and and I told myself that at the time, because I, I did it with a very, very close school chum of mine, and I told myself at the time that the reason I was taking it, because we, we were the only two guys in the class, was because it was a class full of girls. Yep, yep. I, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Is that where you met your girlfriend and future no, wife? No, no, it, it, no. <laughs> but... <laughs> But actually, that would have been a great story. But no, uh, but it actually that that learning to type uh, on an old Underwood typewriter and ha learning to touch type on an old Underwood typewriter gave me the foundation, at least from muscle memory, a muscle memory perspective of being able to transition uh, into um, into writing, into typing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of 
was uh, uh, an obstacle that, I, and I speak to some authors who talk about that being an obstacle, is just like sometimes they have to to focus on the typing as opposed to the writing. So they tend to write with their, with a pen and paper instead. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's it, that, um, that keyboard has become the pen. Okay. So it's your symbolic pen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. That's too bad. It, you didn't meet her there. That, that yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous story. Come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next question. How many writing projects do you have? on the go at any one time? I was thinking about this question and that, uh, I want to give you my definition of a writing project. I see a writing project as an uh, what will at uh, a point in time become a book. And uh, I do writing, I actually do writing for work and uh, the work that I do also so has such such close representation to the writing that I do as well, that sometimes it, it feels like it, it's like I'm not even working, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they talk about do what you love kind of thing. That's not what it is. It's just that I don't feel I'm working because I feel that I'm, I'm the things that I'm saying, both in my professional life and outside of my professional life are in sync. And so I don't feel like it's a, a different thing. So for me, when I think about a writing project, I see it as a book and I only write one book at a time. I only focus on one book at a time. And that's mainly because of how my brain works. I, I tend to choose a topic and then dive into it head first, deep end, start to do all my research. And so because of that that way, because of that way that I think I, I just can't do it for more than one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't preclude the fact that I also write for my community newspaper. I do, um, I, I, I submit a, a column twice a month for my community newspaper. And, uh, and I actually started uh, as part of um, that whole imposter syndrome challenging myself. I, I just started something that I'm calling uh, a satirical story and it's called the story of everything. And so, I'm writing in other arenas that's that's actually tied to my role as a storyteller, but I only write one book at a time because of just the way I approach things. Very, very different for me because I will start writing something and then I'll get an idea for something else. I'll start that, set it aside, go back yeah. to what I was doing, and then I'll get another so I've got like three or four different things on the go at any one given time, but only one that I focus on at a time. Right. And do you find that sometimes you may you may miss one that you that you go back and you go, whoa, I don't even remember doing this. And you, you and then you kind of pick it up and just kind of run with it for a bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah. What is your writing goal? I, I love this question as well. I tell you, you have some of the best questions. I love this question. I, I, I sat and I thought about this because I, I, at first I, I wanted to say, well, you know, I just needed to express myself. That's not what it was. Uh, I had to go deeper with my thinking when I when I asked myself this question. It's, I think, saying that I just, it, it's a means of expressing what, me and, and, and so on is just kind of like a cop-out answer. I actually want to leave the world a better place. I see this as an, an opportunity to, I feel that I have good and important things to say. And it, 
a lot of my poetry is centered around immigrants, immigration, racism, challenging racism, uh, systemic racism, uh, you know, the, the obstacles that Black, Indigenous, people of color face. So that's kind of the, 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 the sphere that I, I tend to do a lot of poetry and writing in. And I do this at work as well, by the way. So for me, it's just about really not even putting my message out there. I don't have a message. I want to challenge my readers to think of a thing differently. And the thing that generally I, I want them to think about is, you know, the other person. What does that other person, that person who doesn't look like you, maybe doesn't talk like you, but what does that other person give to the world that you live in as well and contribute to the, to, to the, the betterment of society? So, for me, it's about leaving the world a better place. And that may be one reader at a time. And I'm sure you, Randy, would have would have experienced something like this. I had, when my, my first book came out, someone came to me and told me that they, they, they got my book, they read it, and they decided to give it to their son, who was going through a, a bit of a hard time. And that their son read this book and and it really helped that person. And for me, that was it. I didn't need to hear anything else. I, if if this book is never read by anyone else, it would not matter to me because it that served was, its purpose. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think you've heard me say this before in the beginning of some of my books is I, I write not because I have something to say, but because there may be something you need to hear. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? That. And that's as simple as it gets. You know, it's it's just that I, you know, I think that people, some people approach writing from that perspective. They they approach it from, I have something to say, and I think I can be a, become a commercial success through what I have to say. Maybe that's the, the approach that some people take it. But I think that for the most part, for me, it's been about the commercial success part of this, this equation has never been uh, uh, even a, a consideration for me. It's been about, this is something I, I have in my soul. This is something that I think w I want to put out there because I want, like you said, you know, you have something to say. You you you, you want that, that, um, that message there, but you it's about actually connecting with that one person and when you connect with that one person that's enough right that's just yeah. actually it's more than enough my very very first book blind ambitions which was published in 2013 uh somebody just recently read it and they found something within there that they connected with somebody they knew and sent it to them mm -hmm. and that person was like wow that speaks volumes to me yeah. And then she picked up another one of my books from the library and had it at home on her coffee table. And her daughter picked it up and started reading it. Mm -hmm. And her daughter's going, wow, I get this. This is me. And so, yeah, you know, when you hear stuff like that, it makes it worthwhile. Yeah. Right. And like you said, that could have been the only person that made a comment or that it yeah. affected and it was worth it. Yeah. I, I find when people really get down to that and that's what they really desire most is when they have the most success. Yeah. What do you consider the hardest part about your writing journey? Is it writing? Is it the publishing or the marketing? 
my my writing journey has been such an intentional one. When I decided to write my first book, I, I because of my imposter syndrome kicking in, I decided that I wanted to self-publish, but not true self-publish. Think about it as boutique publishing because that's what it was. Okay. I, I paid the publisher and, and the publisher, uh, I gave them a book and they, they did it. And so I never find the writing as being challenging, uh, again, because of how I, I approach it. I, uh, w- what I find is that for my writing, I, I immerse myself in a, in a topic. I'm, I'm actually in above my head in, in a topic that I want to write about. I don't ever think about writing it. I just want to immerse myself in it. I just want to, I want it to be just kind of all in my head. I read, I read a book called Contrarian uh, Leader. And in, in this, there, it was written by a gentleman called Stephen Sample. And in this book, he said that the best way that he ever found to solve a problem was not to think about it. So he would actually, and uh, he would actually get into his office, have a, have a you know, he had, he had to address, and he would lie down on the ground in his office and think about anything else but that. And so for me, I just kind of do the opposite of that. I just go in and I just allow all of the thoughts about that book, about that topic to just kind of be in my brain. I don't think about writing it. I don't think about what I want to say about it. I want it to, and then it happens. So the, the writing part was easy for me. The publishing part in my, with my first book, like I said, I went and I, I did it via a boutique publisher. Uh, but what I realized after I did that was that I could truly do self-publishing. And I credit in large part the, the Facebook group, Canadian Creative Writers, that you, you've started. Because that's kind of where it, 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 in that Facebook group, in all of the fantastic discussions that have happened in that Facebook group, it actually dawned on me that this is something I, I could do. And so my second book, I actually went and, and went on to Amazon KDP and did did that second book all all on, on my own. I, I went out and I got my own ISBN, set up myself as a publisher and, and uh, did that second book. So it, for me, both experiences were in their own way really important and learning experiences because they each showed me things that I needed to think about that I hadn't thought about before that I didn't even know was something that we uh, a writer or especially a writer should be thinking about as they're uh, as they're thinking about publishing so it was both really, really um, important learning, uh, learning experiences, and I will, I, I don't, I will never regret doing either of those two. What is challenging for me is marketing. <laughs> I am not a good salesperson, as you can tell. I suffer from imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> but, but going to what we've been talking about, that we're really not after the fame or the fortune, which yeah. usually comes with marketing, right? Because that's a dynamic result of the marketing, but we're not really chasing either of those. So does marketing yeah. really count for anything? Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, it, 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 when, I see, when I see marketing, when I think about marketing, it's not about the fame and the fortune. It's about getting people to know that my book is there. 
yeah, that this is what my book is about, that, you know, and to eventually for people to see it as as what I intended it to be, you know, uh, kind of like its own its own self-help book, but from a different perspective. It's not telling you how to do a thing. It's telling you there is a thing that you need to think about and you can change that thing. Right. And so it's it. it, it so the marketing for me is about really getting the the the. the into people's heads that that book is out there not so much as you as you rightly said not so much about the fame and fortune part of it as much as it is about really getting and so what what that meant for me for instance is that when i when i ordered books from my publisher i ordered a bunch of books from my publisher that i regularly just give out i mean like i've just shared books (laughs) because i want people to know that that book exists I'm not sure if you're aware of this. If if not, you're going to be now. But the people that I interview for this podcast, especially if they have a book out, I ask them if they'd be willing to donate a copy to my local library, because that way that puts their book in the library system, which is accessible all across Canada. Yeah. And it, it helps them for marketing, for one. And, and two, it's nice to see your book in a library. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're interested in that, feel free to send me one. We can set up, a, uh, set that up a, a little later. I would recommend anybody who has a book to approach their library and see if they can donate a copy of their book to their library. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know that was one of the challenges for me in in publishing my book because my 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 first book came out in October of 2020, which was by then the second wave of. Um, the pandemic was in full bloom, you know, a full bloom bomb in, in, in our in our in our society. We were total totally locked down. And so I couldn't even launch it per se the way I wanted to. So I, it that's something that I've had on my things list of things to do that hopefully as we start to open up more uh, in the province of Ontario, I'll be able to do. But that's fantastic. Thank you for that offer. Not a problem. And again, I give everybody that option, that offer. It's uh, I think it's a, it's a worthwhile thing to do. Yeah. All right. Moving on then. What is going on around you when you sit down to write? Is there music playing or uh, is there a dog nearby or a cat or are you eating, drinking something specific? Life is going on around me when I write. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't need quiet. I don't need I don't need, in fact, uh, oftentimes I don't even need my keyboard and computer. I, I have, uh, I have been, I have found myself sitting, waiting for uh, either my wife because she's, I took her to do something and she's off doing her stuff and me on my, my phone in the notes app writing a, a poem that just kind of hit me. I have found myself waking up at four in the morning and doing that same thing, just kind of grabbing the phone and typing out this thought that just kind of blew into my mind but I, and, and it all comes with the from the way I write like I said I immerse myself in whatever the topic is and then I allow my brain to just kind of you know bring it out in whatever way it chooses to I've had so many conversations with people it, it's one of the funniest things you know it, it has made me realize that the just kind of start to picture how different our brains are. Uh, I, 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 I talked to my, my boss 
the, the person I report to at work. And, you know, I, I, I was saying to him, I was telling him about the experience of writing my third book and that I sat down and I wrote a poem on the life of, of Malcolm X from, from his, his birth from him being Malcolm Little to to his death for to his assassination and it's uh it's a close to a thousand words it's a long poem and um and he said I can't I, when it comes to writing I can't even write a paragraph without driving myself crazy and you're telling me you just <laughs> Right. But that's that's kind of what happens is that I have these huge spurts of writing and I sit down and as when my brain is ready for me to write, I just allow it to happen. And that creativity just kind of flows. And then generally what I find after that is I'm spent. I'm I'm tired. I can't even think about it anymore. And so I just set set that bit aside and I, I move on to the next topic in my book, whatever that next topic is. That doesn't mean I don't go back to that first poem and, and revisit it and re and, and, and play with it. It just means that I've moved on to the next part of that book. But it I don't really care. I don't care what's going on. It can be a busy it can be busy, noisy or quiet. It doesn't matter. Yeah, there's some some of the people I've talked to and interviewed they, from one extreme to the other. And then there's there, there's the people like you who it doesn't matter what's going on. Life yeah. can go on. I've been living life busy all my life. Why mm -hmm. am I going to let that interrupt what I love to do? Yeah. Do, do, is that your your method of writing or do you just need to kind of focus in on? Uh, you know what? When I sense a flow come on, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what's going on. I'm I'm into it. I'm immersed. Like you said, I'm immersed into it. When the flow stops, I set it aside and walk away because I don't want to feel like I have to contrive anything to contribute yeah. more. Yeah. If it's the flow is there, the flow is there. If it stops, I walk away. Yeah. Or I move on to something else. And then I'll revisit it, like you said, and 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 see if there's more. But yeah, if it if I if I'm flowing and the flow ends, yeah, I don't try to force it. Yeah. But people yeah. can tell. Yeah. People I agree. I agree. And and that's kind of what happens with me is that when I finish that spurt of creativity and mind you, it's not like it's a short spurt. Sometimes that spurt of creativity can last like two, three weeks, right? Or two days. I, I just, I don't ever force it beyond what, what I feel, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I don't ever think about it as you know, I hear often I saw, in fact, this was one of the first posts on Canadian creative writers that I answered was somebody asked the question, what do you think about writer's block? And my response was, uh, uh, you know what? I don't have writer's block. I don't ever think about it in that way. I don't look at it as writer's block. I look at it as the opportunity to go immerse myself in whatever it is I plan to write. About. There's a lot of good questions that have come up in that group. Absolutely. I, yeah. Really, really interesting. I guess the last question, official quote, well, no, it's not. I've got another one. Surprise <laughs> question that you didn't. Uh, yeah. about. <laughs> have you ever read a book and thought to yourself, I could have written that. I could have written this. And if so, uh, which book was it? I chose this because I, I knew the I knew the answer, and the answer was that. Well, first of all, I was an early reader. I was three years old when I started to read. Oh wow! I, 
And my, I credit my dad for this because I have these memories of me sitting on his lap with him holding the Guardian, which was the newspaper of the day. And he would ask me to read the article for him, articles for him. And so I read really, really early on. My first book that I read that didn't have pictures, I was like about six years old. And my a cousin of mine gave me this book and said, you've got to read this book. And I said, uh, how, but there's no pictures. And he said, this is going to be your first. It was my summer holiday. I was spending by them. And uh, he said, you, this is your first book then. This is your first. And he was a voracious reader. He read uh, lots of um, Westerns and, you know, all kinds of books, all kinds of books. And so he gave me this book. And the book was The Adventures of Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. And I have always, oh, I loved that book. It became, I think, in my life, I have read that book close to 150 times. Oh wow! I, I still have it on my iPad. I, I, I every now and then I will. It, it's kind of like comfort food for me, right? Because every now and then I'll go and I'll just kind of blow through the entire book in one reading, and I'll be like, yeah, that was good. But that book. The, the sentiments that happened in that book, the way he wrote that book, the things he wrote about, the, the just the adventure of it, right? I, I re- remember there's, there's one part where he talks about it, there comes a time in every boy's life when he goes in search of treasure. Oh, good grief. He had me 12 o'clock at night outside looking by the moon. <laughs> so looking at the moon, the moon, the shadow of the moon and the tree in our yard to see where the tip of the tree was, searching for lost treasure. And so I, I never thought of myself as being able to match that book. But boy, I feel I could have just just done that some justice it, because of how it inspired my youth, you know, the adventure part of me. Yeah, it was just tremendous, at least from from my reading of it and so much so that even now when I read it I I, I hearken back to, to you know uh, to Becky and Tom and and to his his adventure with with uh, with Huckleberry Finn in the graveyard I mean, it's just like I think I could have done that and maybe I may feel that uh, the inspiration to try something similar uh, that coming of age kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, but yeah yeah. That that's kind of the book that I, I I that that would either make me or break me when it comes to to writing. Now, does it sadden you that he's not alive? That you could have written him a letter saying thank you. Oh, tell me about it. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's the, what it meant to me. Yeah. Is there anything you will not use as inspiration to write, or if you will? What will you not write about? You know, if, <laughs> if you'd asked me this question as little as last year, December, I would, I, I probably would have a different answer for you. But oh. as of today, I can tell you there is nothing that I won't write about. And I'll tell you why there, that difference happened. I uh, recently, I was inspired to, to write <laughs> in, a, in a subreddit that um, that I'm a part of, I was, I was inspired to write, uh, somebody challenged me to write about the origin of Karen. 
Um, and, you know, in, in popular culture now, there is this this trope of um, Karen being an entitled um, woman who, who who kind of asks for a manager, no matter what the, 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 the issue is, you know, that kind of trope. But the the, the, the challenge was write a story about the 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 origin of Karen and so I actually wrote a story about the origin of Karen and it it, it blew up uh, on on the subreddit that I was on um, and people were just like you know a couple of people were just like wow this is crazy I love this uh, kind of kind of thing and that got me thinking about writing a very irreverent story and this irreverent story is about the story of everything and I'm actually doing it for free because I'm putting it, I'm writing it, and readers can read it as I write it, oh, one cool. chapter at a time on my on my website. So every month I'll, I, I'm re, I'm going to be starting in March. Every month I'm releasing one chapter that people can read, and this story is going to be about everything. It's going to be about religion and about politics and about culture and everything this book can go on forever it can that was why i decided to make it for free and that was why i decided to put it on my web website because <laughs> that's almost ingenious brian <laughs> no that's that's pretty cool wonderful wonderful i i'm almost at a loss for something to say but uh this brings us to part two then, which uh, <clears throat> I will entitle Shake Your Money Maker, because this is about putting yourself out there and letting people know, you know, where to find you and stuff like that. So what works do you currently have in publication? Uh, so uh, again, a chance to plug your most recent, but uh, not limited to that. So you've got one, two books, and you're working yeah. on three. Correct. My, my very first book is called A Sliver of a Chance. Insights and observations of a Canadian immigrant, and it's really it really looks at a, a number of big things: racism, immigration, colonialism, and it's all poetry, by the way. But um, it's poetry presented sometimes quite uh, in, in a quite different way, and and and. Um, entertaining way I hope so that was my first book it was my first foray into writing and to really jumping into the writing pool if you will mm -hmm. my second book which is a self-published book is called the human condition a poet's perspective and for that one I actually went and found some people who I felt were talented po poets but who had never been published before and asked them to write about um, certain certain topics for for me for this book, and so I feature some of their poetry in this uh, in this. But it it is predominantly my my poems as well. But um, their their poetry is peppered in. My son actually wrote several poems for this for this book as well. And so those are the, those are my my two uh, published works. I also did a um, I, I belong to an association in Ontario called the Immigrant Writers Association, and um, the Immigrant Writers Association is an association that of immigrant writers that tries to uh, really lift immigrant writers in Ontario and give them a voice and give them um, a, a place a forum in which to speak, and they do a 
a, a annual anthology and last year was my first contribution uh, to their anthology um, so that was that was another uh, book that I had um, that I had uh, you know contributed to this year they're doing it again and uh, and I'm also contributing to to it it should be coming out sometime in um, just after the end of summer maybe around um, August September so the anthology that you were, I'm glad you brought that up because if you didn't, I was going to bring it up because I knew that about you. So that anthology, what's it called? It, so it's called Moving Forward. So every year, the, the, the Immigrant Writers Association chooses a different theme and they ask their, their writers who are part of the association to write in any, any genre that they, they write in, whether it's in, in real life in other words, nonfiction genre, or they write in a story or whatever, mm-hmm. or poetry, uh, to, to, to write in, along that theme. And so the last, the, the, the one that um, I contributed to was, it was, it's called Moving Forward. And it was really about the, the immigrant who has, who has come to a new place and they're, they are now trying to, to kind of, move forward in this new country and build their new life in this new country so kind of like find their next step correct yeah and and really find out who they who they are really and truly right and so that that was um the the one that would we did um last year this year the fourth anthology is going to is called finding the way and so what this one is kind of um really really focused on is uh, now that you know the the your this immigrant has come and is has um has uh started to to really become a part of of, of the society and the and and become a part of the culture that they're in what's next right how do they how do they find that new define that new beginning start that journey be that person uh, grow into that role so really it, it's it's kind of like a journey in it on its own and so this book called finding the way i'm really really um excited about it because i took a totally different approach in in this writing in that i mixed story with poetry so the the the, the protagonist and my story he is a he is a poet from Iran, and he he writes as part of his own catharsis, um, and he is also an immigrant to Canada, and so he 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 writes um, about his journey. So that, that that's coming out, like I said, sometime in in uh, this year. Fantastic. Really, really interested in in seeing what the response to that would be. In your opinion, are are, are the anthologies well received? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, generally, um, actually, it's it's interesting. Uh, like I said, uh, uh, you know, uh, for me, uh, it, it was it was it was humbling and it was exciting at the same time to be able to participate in this. Uh, and when I sent my submission in, it, truly, I, like I say, I suffer from imposter syndrome. I sent my submission in, and I never really thought it would ever make it, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, it's it's the first one in the book, and uh, it really has helped me um, to, to uh, and other people to find me because of of um, of that submission. 
fantastic. That's that's really cool. Do you presently have anything you're working on, and how close is it to being done, or how, how close to completion is it? So it, the the anthology is what I'm doing, uh, you know, with, uh, with with the Immigrant Writers Association. But over 2021, I spent all of 2021 in writing, uh, and the book that I wrote it's tentatively called Enslaved, a Chronicle of Resistance. And it is part poetry, Mm -hmm. part history, part story. Whose history? And it's the history of slavery and systemic racism. So it's the history of a character that I created. Mm -hmm. So just to give you a sense of how this book is, this book, this book is close to 400 pages long. So it may actually come out as three different books because it's three different eras that I write about. I write about the era of the 1800s to emancipation or the 1700s to emancipation. And that's more fictitious. So there's a fictional character that that I trace the, the, the history of this fictional character. Then the second era, and there's about 45 poems in that, era in the second era it's called freedom bells are ringing and it's about emancipation and it goes right through to the to the death of of um, martin luther king jr okay and uh, it really covers that entire that entire time period so talking about people like nat turner which many people don't even know who nat turner is the the um looking at what the different uh, the, the different uh segregation de jure uh, segregation and um brown versus plessy court cases so this is where i start to get really historical there's a lot of footnotes in this one mm-hmm. but it's poetry and it's intermixed with actual storytelling amidst the poetry there is something like 67 poems in this one and then era three is called hidden in plain sight and the intent of era three was to really bring it home and you know kind of tracing the root of systemic racism and how systemic racism became a thing and so in era three we're talking about systemic racism because it's hidden in plain sight you don't often see it but you experience it as a black person an indigenous person or a person of color and so this era is really kind of looking at what are the areas that many even in canada we see it and of course absolutely uh, south of the border but what is what is systemic racism what is that that is affecting people and how how can we deal with it as a society and again there's a lot of um present day um, things. So it's, again, a lot of footnotes in there relating to real life uh, things that go on. So right now I'm in the process of looking for a a publisher for this one because because of just the the hugeness of this project. Like I said, it's 400 pages long and, and, and I felt that to do it real justice, because of the content and the, the the what what this message is, that it would behoove me to find a publisher for it. Mm-hmm. When you first started talking about your third book in your description, and from what I was hearing, and maybe what I was remembering is, do you remember Alex Haley Roots? That's yes. what I was thinking as you were describing what you were trying to do. 
it's it's amazing that you say that because in my acknowledgments, that's what I said. I said that <laughs> inspiration for this comes from Alex Haley's roots. Wonderful. And it's Alex Haley's roots in poetry form. Wonderful. Not that I like to get political or, you know, anything like that, because I don't, because, I mean, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, and I think we have, we're entitled to that. Yes. But systemic racism is defined in so many different ways by so many different people. If there was one standard definition that we could all go by, it would be so much easier to eradicate. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. as political as I'm going to get. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good ob- observation. Um, and uh, believe it or not, we, we we in this book, this book addresses some of those things. I, I I really wish I could just kind of throw out some of the the table of contents of this book. Go ahead. Um, it, it's um, I, I have it, for example, there's a O Canada uh, Part One that talks about what we believe to be systemic racism in Canada. Mm. O Canada Part 2 talks about, and so I actually write four poems, four different poems that looks at, at, at to your point, about racism, systemic racism, and what it, what it means and how it affects different people in different ways, and how do we start to contextualize that. So that was the idea behind it. I also have a number of poems that, that try to help the reader, because my intent is really, the, the intent of this book, is really to help, not just to help people, white people, understand what systemic racism is, but to help even BIPOC people, Black, Indigenous, people of color, to help contextualize it for them. Because, you know, it's it the when we talk about it, it is it when I talk about, um, for instance, uh, being profiled to my black friend, to my black teenage friend. They, they have a totally different view on it and how it, how it affects them. Mm-hmm. And so we have to capture that view. We have to understand the context of that view. And so, yes, I agree with you. And, and that was kind of par- part of the reason for really pointing it out in that way. But I wanted to just not just start by pointing it out, but show that there was, there's a history to this. And because there's a history to this, there's actually threads that you can pull on that will take you back to that history. Yeah unravel the mysticism behind it yes yes now this will probably get edited out have you ever met a blind person who was racist no well okay so i mean assuming uh being racist is associating color to a person Mm -hmm. right have you ever met a blind one no no because they're just people yeah right and all my life that's how i've been i've gotten along with everybody yeah. Right. But now that I'm visually impaired and mostly blind, I just think that's such a great thing for me because, you know, I love everybody. Yeah. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't color, care what your accent is or whatever. You're a human yeah. being just like me. I don't think you should add that out. That's brilliant. Oh, all right. Is there one of your books which you are more particularly fond of and why? No, no, I, I, I see. I like I, them all. Yeah, I see each of my the two books that I have and this third book, um, even though I spent an inordinate amount of time on the third book, I see it as um, really parts of myself that I put onto paper. And, um, and so, you know, I don't like my, my, my pinky finger better than I like my index. So no, I don't. I don't and you wouldn't be a complete person without either. Absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. Good answer. Good answer. 
And for a hundred dollars, uh, no, Alex, I'll take number four. Well, yeah, um, I thought about these. <laughs> where can people connect with you? Things like email or website, uh, snail mail, if you still do that, blog, uh, meta, or formerly known as Facebook, Instagram, you know, TikTok, Twitter, whatever. So where? Yeah, so I'm 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 on Facebook. Um, I'm my Facebook page is called Brian the Poet. That's also my 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 website BrianThePoet.com. I, I I found it was just really catchy, Brian the Poet. Even though I write other things, Brian the Poet sounds so catchy. It's easy on the tongue. And so that's my website, www.briantheport.com, and on Facebook, Brian the Poet. Uh, my email, it's email is right on the website as well, so people can contact me there. Really, don't do Instagram per se. Um, and my Twitter, I share my Twitter account with work and my my poetry, and so it's at B Sankersing on twitter uh and again it's you know people will find that i talk about work and poetry there you want to spell your last name for the people please sure uh it's it's at b sanker singh b-s-a-n-k-a-r-s-i-n-g-h thank you and the the email is brian the poet one just b-r-i-n-t-h-e-p-o-e-t at rogers r-o-g-e-r-s dot com Fantastic. And that's it. That's that's all we need to know. That's all we need to know. And is all of that stuff on your website as well, though? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And links to where uh, they can buy your books and all that yep. sort of stuff. Yeah. Links to my links to the reviews that I've got on the books, links to where you can get the books, actually even um, links to all of the writings that uh, that um, I do outside of my poetry. So all I like I said, I write for my uh, my community paid newspaper. So those links are, are there as well. Wonderful. Brian, thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast. It's been well, I knew you a little bit already, but uh, this gave me an opportunity to get to know you a little bit more, and I, I feel the better for it. Uh, so again, thanks for, for agreeing to do this, and uh, have yourself a wonderful rest of well, the, your weekend and uh, life. Thank you very much, Randy. I totally enjoyed it. Um, I, I hope this uh, this you know podcast gets tons of uh, listeners. So there you go. You have been listening to Between the Lines. In future episodes, I will not only be speaking with Canadian authors and writers, I will also be speaking with those from the other side of the writing industry, editors, agents, and publishers, in the hopes of getting a better understanding of how it all works together. If you liked what you heard, hit the subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and content. Send all your comments, suggestions, or any questions you'd like to have a guest answer to me at randy.dplpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to visit me at www.therandylacy.ca. While there, look for the Buy Me a Coffee button to help support the podcast. Thank you for your time and your ears. Tune in, be inspired, and write on. In business, you rarely hear the expression, for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 Weight Loss. 
allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com.